You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. There was something about the deep end of the private detective business that keeps a fella perpetually behind the times. I suppose it was because when you're sitting on top of the world, hiring a gumshoe is just about the last thing on your mind. And if by some chance you did, you'd most likely find your way to some nice, well-heeled agency, where the carpets are plush and thick enough to wade through, and small armies of shapely secretaries type things up like a good girl. Here at Justice and Dixon, private investigations, there were none of the trappings that came with a nice, well-heeled agency, which would be why we rarely saw anything like a nice, well-heeled client. The current occupant of the red leather chair, which really was much too nice for our office, was no exception, though it was easy to see from the lines in his face that he'd seen the highs as well as the lows. No one can wear in a face like that without giving it the works. The radiator whistled in the corner, The percolator beat a promising rumba on the hot plate. King, the office watchdog, whimpered as he slept, his feet shaking as he dreamt about chasing whatever it is that dogs that have never seen a rabbit dream about chasing. All around there was a sort of low-rent comfort, which on many an afternoon has lulled me into a zen-like state, but not this good day. For the occupant, or occupants, of the red leather chair were so profoundly irritating that I would have put on my hat and left for the day if it weren't so much fun watching the girl detective play nice. Can I offer you a cup of coffee, Mr. Simon? Thank you, Miss Dixon. Trixie's fine. How do you like it? Just some cream, please. I take mine black and sweet, just like... Morty! What? I apologize for my partner, Trixie. He's terribly uncouth. That is a low-down, dirty lie, and whoever said it is a son of a... Morty! You see what I have to deal with? You? You're not the one with some old coot's hand up your... Marty! Not to cut you off mid-banter. As if you could. But here's your coffee. Ah, delightful. Thank you. Not at all. Where's mine? What? Some service in this delicatessen? I don't... Marty, you're not in a delicatessen. This is a detective's office. If this isn't a deli, why does that guy look so much like a whitefish? Mr. Simon. Yes? I have sat quietly thus far for reasons of my own, but as you have elected to involve me in this exchange... I am prepared to send down to the pet shop on the corner for a shipment of fine domestic termites if you can't keep your dummy quiet. Who are you calling a dummy? Marty, please, you're bothering the man. Mr. Simon. Yes? I understand that you've been working this ventriloquist act since Methuselah was a boy singer, but right now I need you to dig in. Of course. You came to our offices for a reason. You have a problem? Yes. Yes, of course. Excellent. We have a problem as well. As of yet... No one has paid us $35 a day today. Plus expenses. Plus expenses. So why don't you, and for the moment only you, tell us how we can solve one another's problems? Of course. Thank you. And you're right, of course. It has been... been a long time since the grand old days of vaudeville. Oh, Mr. Justice, but things should change so fast... There was a time not so very long ago when there were music halls in every town and city from east to west and north to south. 
A little luck, a lot of work, and a fellow could hang his hat on a good act. Don't wax nostalgic, pinhead. You shut up now. No, he's right. There isn't a hack of my vintage in the country that doesn't have idealized notions about their old baggy pants. But they were simpler days, better times. You and... and... Morty. Right. You and Morty had some success back in the day? Yes. Well, no. Not Morty and I. I used to work with a different partner. A real rube. Be nice. Well, he's right in a way. That was the part. It was a country bumpkin sort of a role. I wore a top hat and tails, and he wore a straw hat. That sort of thing. Simple and Simon was the act. Simple and Simon. You're that, Tommy Simon? You remember. How nice. Sure I remember. Well, you even did a few two-reelers. One, actually. The studio never seemed to understand. Simple sat on my knee, and we did jokes. When we played a county fair, I was the butt of the gags. When we played the cities, it was Simple who took the worst of it. It traveled well, but the studio wanted to see the dummy. I don't know, play football or court young ladies? The act just didn't play for the camera. Besides, you could see his lips move. Marty! If there was ever a ventriloquist meant for radio, it's him. Jack, be a dear and fetch my cigarette lighter, would ya? You wouldn't. Just try me. I'll be good. So what brings you to town, Mr. Simon? I didn't know there was still an open vaudeville house within a hundred miles. If there is, I'm not aware of it. No, the old touring days are a thing of the past. I settled into a semi-regular set in the Catskills a few years back, and we've been getting by ever since. The Catskills? Sure. These days it's too expensive to tour an act. You settle down in a nice resort town and let the tourists come to you. It beats having to write new material all the time. Since when do you write the material? Would anyone else care for a drink? Morty is right, I'm afraid. In the old days, Simple and I went after each other. And whomever was dressed the most like the audience came out on top. It wasn't complicated. And now? Morty abuses the audience, and I admonish him. That's it. That's all. Three sets a night. It's what these club managers want these days. Whatever seems likely to make a drunk person laugh quickly and then order another drink. Well, it half worked on me. I know there are opportunities out there. Bigger and better clubs. People have been after me to try new things. Take the act to the next level. Play more glamorous rooms. People. Morty, for one. Swell. We've had an offer from a club down in Miami. A little sun would kill you. None of which even begins to explain what brings you to our little office. Or just what might bring you out again. Have either of you ever heard of Vin Forrest? Vin Forrest? He's in television, isn't he? A producer or something? That's exactly right, Miss Dixon. He sent me a wire last week. He'd like to use the act in a program he's producing. I'm sure you know there's a great interest in television. So I hear. Lots of interest and lots of money, and not very much to look at yet. That's just it. It's a vast, blank canvas. A machine that requires constant programming, and the camera work isn't nearly as sophisticated as the motion pictures. They need something that keeps pretty steady in a confined space. Like a dummy act. Watch it! Ventriloquists, jugglers, knife throwers, plate spinners, an awful lot of folks from the old days are getting work. Work, schmirk. Give me a good, honest nightclub full of ugly faces. Marty! Okay, before we go too far down this road... Vin Forrest doesn't want the act that Morty and I do, Mr. Justice. It's much too blue for television. He wants a nice nostalgic act for his program, with more work to come if it goes well. He wants Simple and Simon. I'm not doing those hackneyed routines. So what's the problem? Pull Simple out of whatever trunk he's in. Simple and I don't work together anymore, Miss Dixon. When the old act stopped booking, I came up with something for the buffet set and left the old act to my star pupil. Who is? Leo Jones. Simple and Jones? Yes. That's not funny. I said he was my best pupil. I didn't say he was any good. He was a nice kid. He was just born 30 years too late. I left him simple in the old routines. It felt better than putting them all in a drawer. But now, with this television deal... We need the jokes back, is all. Um, yes. What? You don't remember them? 
Indeed I do, Mr. Justice. But when you give away material like that, you can't just take it back. It isn't done. And if Leo were to take Simple in the act to Los Angeles, he just might get the deal from Forrest. I must speak to Leo. Since you're here, I assume you've tried the telephone? He won't talk to me. Says if I call him again, he'll take the whole act and put a match to it. He was furious. There were some hard feelings. Not that I ever knew of. We simply went our separate ways. When's the last time you two spoke? It must be ten years. He used to write. Morty! He used to think I didn't know, but he used to write. Then the letters started coming back unopened. Mr. Simon, anything that can shed some light on this might help. Was there anything in those letters that might explain why Leo Jones stopped reading them? Oh, I didn't write them to Leo. What? The letters were to Simple. Does anyone else need a refill? Just me, then. Where is Leo Jones now? He's curtain-raising at a small, uh, uh, dance hall. Just outside of town. A dance hall. Uh, a burlesque house. Now we're getting somewhere. Tommy Simon signed on the dotted line and forked over 70 bucks as a retainer. I could tell that handing the money over stung the old boy a little, and then might have given me a pang or two if it weren't for the fact that he really bothered me. I couldn't decide if he honestly thought he was being charming, or if he just didn't know when to turn it off, or if he was actually all 36 flavors of whack job that he seemed to be. As we piled into Jack's old heap and drove towards the edge of town and the house of disreputable entertainment therein, Jack was treating the entire thing with a disturbing level of sincerity. I couldn't decide if he was slipping or just really, really trying to bother me, which was at least slightly academic, since it was working. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. The simplest days in the life of a private detective are the ones in which he does no private detecting of any kind. Fortunately, those days are legion. Typically, the two most difficult decisions on a day such as this were what one should have for lunch and how precisely did one propose to pay for it. An almost pastoral lifestyle, really, without all the fuss, muss, and bother of the actual pasture. A thing of beauty, and like most things of beauty, completely unsustainable. Fortunately, there were the next simplest days in the life of a private detective. These were the days that most of the bills were paid, the days in which a certain amount of private detecting was done, but on behalf of clients whose desires were clear and direct. Get the goods on my wife, get the goods on my husband, get the goods on... Well, you get the general idea. The fact is, there were goods that needed getting, and we were oftentimes the one who got them. The least simple days in the life of a private detective were an ill-defined assortment of days when you got stood up, shot down, sapped, slapped, and generally bludgeoned. The days when one was charged for large crimes one did not actually commit, or, more often than not, small crimes, which one actually did. They were the most interesting days, but they were also, by any measurable standard, the bad days. And the one element that almost all of the bad days had in common is that they all revolved around working for a client that was less than entirely sure what they wanted in the first place. This was why I had a bad feeling as we pulled up to the drive of a certain well-known yet seldom-discussed entertainment palace just stumbling distance beyond the city limits. Well, well. So this is a burlesque house. You sound surprised. Why should I be surprised? Just because the city fathers say that men don't like to watch women dance around in little pants doesn't make it so. I am also less than surprised that you found your way here without asking for directions. Shut up. 
Can I even get into this place? I was wondering that myself. I sure hope so. Why is that? Because one of us is going to have to go backstage to talk to Leo Jones, and I don't think it's going to be me. Again, you say this with a degree of certainty that I find unsurprising. Thanks. Wait, if I'm the one heading backstage, what are you supposed to be doing? I'm sure I'll think of something. Swell. Meet me back here in 20 minutes. I'll be around. I'm sure you will. And God help you if I have to come looking for you. You are no fun. Darn tootin'. Looks like the stage door's over here. Good luck. Who needs luck? If he's half as squirrely as our client. I'll take that horseshoe after all. Nice. Well, hello. Can I help you with something? Oh, let me count the ways. What? Nothing. Nothing at all. My, you're a big one, aren't you? <laughs> you don't have to make nice with me. What's that? I just work the door. I don't handle the auditions. Auditions? Mary runs the talent. I just work the door. Oh, you misunderstand me. I don't think you've got nothing to worry about, though. What? No. Oh. <laughs> well, excuse me as I stumble for a response somewhere neatly between a bemused thank you and a clearly intrigued how dare you. I'm not sure I follow that. Should I leave a trail of breadcrumbs? What? No, I'm not actually a performer. Well... That is, <laughs> I don't generally perform for crowds larger than one, <laughs> even when that one is a very large crowd indeed. You have been taking your vitamins, haven't you? I told you, I just work the door. You don't have to make nice with me. Suppose I wanted to. Suppose, and I want to be clear on this, the jury's still out, but suppose I wanted to make very nice indeed. Time to get off work. 4 a.m.? 4 a.m.? <laughs> That's just cruel and unusual punishment. If you're not a dancer, why'd you come here? Why? Where are we? What? What? Right, the burlesque house. Are you feeling okay? Well, you tell me. I mean... Wait. Sorry. <laughs> that was just too good a pitch to hit. My name is Trixie Dixon, and I'm here to see Leo Jones. You're kidding me. No, Why? We don't get a lot of girls trying to get backstage to meet the ventriloquist. You amaze me. He's just an old friend. Really? Would you believe he's my sick mother? It's the more likely scenario. Go on up. Third door on the left. Thanks, Peaches. Third door on the left. <sighs> Charming. There's no business like show business. Mr. Jones? Mr. Jones? I don't go back on for another hour! Yes, sir, Mr. Jones, I'm sure. I'm not here about that. What do you want? We're trying to relax. We? Simple and I. Ah, swell. What's that? I said... Never mind what I said. Mr. Jones, I'm a private detective. My name is Trixie Dixon. I'm working for your friend Tom Simon. You don't look much like a detective. The man at the door had a similar observation. I told Tom Simon to leave us alone. Yes, sir. He'd just like a chance to speak to you in person. To me? Yes, sir. I think your client's been lying to you, Miss Dixon. Well, Lord knows it wouldn't be the first time. I think you'd better come in. Well, thank you, sir. My client is hoping... Ah! Forgive me, Miss Dixon, but you see, I know exactly what Tom Simon was hoping. Trixie. 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 You all right? Oh, it's you, Peaches. You didn't happen to get the number of the truck that hit me, did you? Leo Jones beat it out of here, took his trunk with him. I knew something must have happened. How long ago was that? Two minutes, maybe. You've been up here almost 15. Swell. 
What kind of goony bird saps a girl and runs away? You'd ever met Leo Jones before, you'd know. He was arguing with his trunk on the way out. Arguing with his... Never mind. Of course he was. Peaches, do something for me. Sure. Have Jack Justice paged in the hall. Jack Justice? Don't be jealous, Angel. He means nothing to me. Do you know where Jones has been staying? Mary will know. I can find out. Good boy. And I may need to interview witnesses. Write down your telephone number. Nice and neat. The kid who came to find me must have been six foot seven, with hands not unlike two large Virginia hams, and an aw shucks expression on his face that said our Miss Dixon had already been applying the salt and pepper to her supper. Ten minutes later, we were streaking back to town, my foot jammed down hard on the accelerator, the girl detective still cussing a blue streak in the seat next to me as she clutched her wounded hairdo. Somebody wasn't going to like the way this evening was going to play out, and history suggested his name was Leo Jones. Jones had a ten-minute head start back to his motel. It seemed likely that his intention was nothing less than to gather his things and disappear into the night. But since we had been hired to put Jones in a room with our client, and the one thing Miss Dixon likes less than getting sapped is getting sapped and not getting paid, that just wasn't going to happen. At the speed we were traveling, we stood a decent chance of beating him back to town, but we had two minor handicaps. We were only going to get one shot at this, which means we had to stop to pick up our client, and we had to stop at the office. Trixie needed more guns. He's still in there. Basing that on anything other than a desire for revenge? Shadows on the Venetian blinds, bright eyes. Make with the knock already. Are we really going to knock on this Yutz's door twice in one night? You know he's just going to shift out the bathroom window. No, he won't leave Simple behind. That aside, Trix. You'd like me to go nip around the back and cover the window? In so many words. Avec plaisir. Give me 30 seconds. Now, Mr. Simon, we need you to stay back until we've got him calmed down. It seems pretty likely from his reaction to my partner that this isn't going to be a pleasant chat. Don't worry about me, Mr. Justice. I'm ready for anything. So am I. What the... I told you to leave the dummy in the car. Hey! I tried, Mr. Justice. Yeah, well, forgive me, but you don't appear to have tried all that hard. Mr. Jones? Mr. Jones, it's the police. We know you're in there, Mr. Jones. There's been a complaint. You need to open the door. Don't move. Nice pistol. I'd have bet money that you'd have run. You're not a policeman. Lucky for you. They take a very dim view of people answering the door with a thirty-two. Just don't move. No, you don't move. I thought you were covering the window. I decided to cover it from the inside. Good thing. You don't mind if I just pocket that little old pistol, do you? Get inside. What do you want? What do you think? All clear, Mr. Simon? Tom! No! Hello, Leo. This? This pimply-faced Meshuggah is your star pupil? Quiet, Marty. Yes, I heard about your new act. Very classy. Classy? You mean like doing a warm-up act for some hoochie-coochie dancers? Better than working off the buffet lines in the land that natural fibers forgot. Oh, man, that's going in the act. Shut it, splinterhead! You wait till Tommy and me get down to Miami. They got dancers there that make your hoochie girls look like linebackers. Okay, I've heard enough from you. You're going to Miami? There have been some offers. Well, congratulations. You always did find a way. Leo, listen to me. I'm not a young man. I can't keep playing nightclubs forever. This television offer, it's a chance to really be somebody just one last time. So take it! No one's stopping you! They don't want me, Leo. They want Simple and Simon. What? I knew it! You 
dirty rat. You said you just wanted the gags back. I tried to tell you, Marty, but you just wouldn't listen. Oh, my God, am I still here? Please, Leo. We were partners so long. Can't I just see Simple? No! He went out. He isn't here. That came from the trunk. Yeah. I think this is about to get a whole lot worse. All right. I'll open the trunk. If only so you can hear it from his lips. They have lips now. Simple! Simon! Oh, Buddha. All right, everybody back. Keep your hands where I can see them. He keeps another pistol in the trunk? Who is this guy? Why'd you put your gun away? Because you had his. That's a shame. Isn't it? All right, everybody get back. You're not taking Simple from me. You walked away from the act. You think you can just come riding back into town and take everything from me? Leo! Leo, listen to me! Oh, no. This isn't right. You know it isn't right. The puppet is reasoning with him. Tommy and me, we've been through some times. I don't deny it. But we belong together. Can't you see it? No. No, Simple, you don't know what you're saying. You've been a great friend, kid. You looked after me and I'll always love you for it. But this is our one big chance. A chance to see the game through to the finish the way it ought to be. Simple and Simon. Simple and Simon. All right. All right, Simp, if that's the way you want it. Hallelujah. Not so fast. Keep those hands in the air. What? Marty, no. You can't do this. Shut up, you. Tommy, be careful. The puppet has a cap gun tied to his hand. The nervous guy with the real gun is taking this seriously. Nobody's putting me out to pasture. Nobody's throwing me over. See? Put the gun down, you termite trap. Don't push your luck, meat puppet. I'm not playing with you, you son of a hat rack. Excuse me. Am I the only one who can see the obvious solution? And so it was. Jack burst forth in a display of disturbing sincerity and without rolling his eyes a single time, and three minutes later there were two happy couples and no pointing guns, cap or otherwise. Simple and Simon made the circuit of variety shows, quiz shows, and anything else that three shaky cameras could cover. I wouldn't say they went out on top, but they got as close as they were ever likely going to get. Three weeks later, Leo and Morty opened up in Miami, tearing a strip off each other for the delight of the plump and the sunburned. As far as I know, they're there to this day. It was a sort of case that made a girl reflect on everyone's place in the cosmos and who they were meant to be with. And that was the sort of thing that made a girl detective look at the square-jawed knight in shining armor that seemed to be her dummy. So I did the only thing I could. I had a stiff drink and telephoned a certain strapping young doorman whose first name I might very well commit to memory. Eventually. Maybe. Blackjack Justice, episode 30, Now Who's the Dummy, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Kevin Robinson, Scott Moyle, Peter Nichols, Stephen Burley, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Hi, I'm Persephone Rose, executive producer for Postal Roach and the creator of Emperor Pigs. I'm a huge fan of audio drama. And if you're listening to this right now, I've got a sneaking suspicion you might be too. 
So make sure your headphones are plugged in tight because you're going to want to hear this. From July 24th through the 26th in 2020, producers, directors, composers, writers, actors, technicians, and fans of audio drama are gathering together for the world's first international modern audio drama convention in Halifax, Nova Scotia. This is going to be amazing. If you like panels, there's going to be panels. Workshops, they've got them. Studio sessions, swag events, live performances, and most importantly, all your favorite creators are going to be there. You can get all the details and purchase your tickets online at www.madcon.com. That's M-A-D hyphen C-O-N dot com. See you at Madcon.